Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this really, really, really special edition of Freeman Means Business Wonder Women in Business podcast. Every now and then, you know we have an ally on the show, and today's guest is a really good friend. I respect him mightily. He's funny. He's smart. Um, I'm just so happy to have Ross Fishman on the show. Ross, good to be here. Have you, have you here with me? Well, thank you, Susan. Always a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you, thank you. Well, tell the people who don't know, the, the two people out there on the planet who don't know you or about you, tell us about your background, who you are, what makes you uh, Gosh, I, well, I am fundamentally, I am a, uh, a legal marketer. Uh, I've been doing that for 30 years. My background, I started out as a litigator a long time ago in Chicago. And uh, then from there, moved into marketing at Winston & Strawn, uh, became a PR manager there, then marketing director. And uh, uh, after five years, left to become the marketing partner at a mid-sized firm. And then uh, a few years after that, opened Fishman Marketing uh, 20 years ago, 20-something years ago, to develop strategy, brands, websites uh, for law firms and uh, professional service firms, and uh, conduct uh, marketing training, firm retreats, and CLE. So of course, these days, all that CLE and marketing training is now, uh, has now morphed into webinars. And so that's kind of where we are uh, during the pandemic. Well, two things strike me. I want to ask, and I know others out there listening will ask, how was that transition from litigator to marketer? Because we know, at, I'm, I too have been a legal marketer for many years. That can be like oil and water. And here you are, the same guy. How was that? <laughs> You know, it, it turned out, looking back, it turned out that I was actually a legal marketer all along, just wearing a lawyer suit. Um, I really didn't realize, you know, I, I, back in the, you know, yuppie days, you know, we, <laughs> back then, you know, you just sort of did uh, things on a, on a particular path. And so my path sent me into law school without much real thought or introspection. And after five years of practice, I just, I could tell that I wasn't uh, going to be a 50-year-old litigator. Um, you know, I could do the work, but I didn't love it. I wasn't passionate about it. And after, you know, after five years, you, you kind of have your, your feet under you as a, as a lawyer, and you can look around and see who's really passionate about it, who's, who is going to be the A-tier litigators, who are the, the ones who are, are, are just destined to be great litigators, or, uh, you know, A-tier lawyers. And I could see that... It just was, my heart wasn't in it. I was just not going to be, um, you know, an A-tier lawyer. Uh, I could do the work. I won more than I lost. Uh, it just wasn't something that I, I loved. I loved lawyers. I loved working with lawyers. I loved the business of law and law firms. I just didn't like the day-to-day -day practice. And just serendipity, um, the firm brought in a marketing consultant like me to provide marketing training to the associates. And that was the first time that I really received any marketing education. I hadn't had any college classes in it. And yeah. realized that I love this. This is, this is working on my side of the brain for a change. Um, it came very naturally to me. It was really something that I enjoyed. And um, I was doing the assignments much more effectively and uh, passionately than my peers who dragged their heels and really didn't enjoy it and found marketing to be a burden where I just loved it and realized at that point that I had to find a way to bring marketing into my practice and 
just around that same time, legal marketing was becoming a thing that people could do. And I had just happened to be reading the Wall Street Journal one day and saw that Winston and Strawn had hired the world's first law firm marketing partner full time. And so it was news enough that it was in the journal. And I happened to read it that day, saw the article in the paper and just picked up the phone and called the guy and said, so tell me, what's this legal marketing thing you're doing? <laughs> and um, so awesome. What a great, that is so great. So I want you to continue your story, but I have to say um, before you do, I have interviewed hundreds and hundreds of lawyers and most of them say um, that they're just not passionate about it. They do it because, you know, it pays for the house note and they just, you know, went to law school. It seemed like the thing to do. And there are those rare, very few who are, you know, fired up litigators, love to be in the courtroom and can develop business. So I think you did the right and courageous thing. You, you have the, the intellectual know-how to speak the language of the lawyer, but you also have that marketing zeal and passion to speak the language of the clients and to bring in new business. So just a little shout out there, but can't carry on. This is you know, a great story. You know, but to your point, um, one of my favorite marketing training programs that I offer is um, helping lawyers focus their practice. It's my niche or industry marketing program. And basically the point I'm trying to make to them is find something that you are passionate about. Because I totally agree with you that, that lawyers very often uh, have lost their enthusiasm. That law, law is a difficult, challenging profession. We work long hours for oftentimes thankless clients. Um, the work is difficult, it's, it's intellectually stimulating, but it's stressful and it's long hours. And, and very often the clients that, that I'm working with have lost their passion for the work. Um, and that's entirely understandable. And so the, the reason that I like this training program so much is it teaches them to bring their the things that they are already passionate about, uh, their outside interests and hobbies and um, activities, other things that they enjoy into their practice so that they can continue to do the work that they are trained to do, but with a group of people who they enjoy, that they have good chemistry with, people they, you know, an industry, for example, that they're passionate about, and find a way to blend that into their practice in a way that reinvigorates them because lawyers are so, I think they're so nice, they're so decent, they try so hard, they wanna do great work for their clients, but they just, it's just so hard. And, I, and we've seen the studies, we know that leads to um, significant uh, elevations in the profession in depression and anxiety and substance abuse and mental health challenges. It's a very difficult profession. But- Yeah, you're, you're like, you're like the Barry White of, of, of legal. You're bringing love back to lawyering, right? <laughs> I'm, just <laughs> bringing, trying, I'm, just bringing trying, I'm not a therapist and I'm certainly not a singer, but, <laughs> but I, do, I do find it uh, rewarding helping people who are just wonderful, decent, smart, caring people, but they've just gotten beaten down over the decades and to find a way to help them enliven their practice and just feel good about it and themselves again it's really rewarding and so that's that's the thing that i find most interesting is is helping them um, find a way to bring their passions into their practice rekindle the passion or, or at least you're helping them to marry what they thought the practice of law or the business of law would be like 
to what it, you know, like what they thought it was versus what it is, right? So you're, you're bringing um, to reality their dream of what it would, would it would be to practice law that's that's a, that's really awesome so we know a lot of lawyers between us we know way too many lawyers i know you love lawyers you've said so I twice already on the show <laughs> <You> <laughs> i'm married to one and you never hear me say that but i do love my lawyer i'll just say it right here right guy. now um, he is a great guy and he was a great lawyer and he was one of those you know outliers who absolutely loved fighting and winning in the courtroom he, he was one of those pit bull litigators never ever once lost a case in the in the double digit cases he was involved with nowadays we know people settle a lot more often but he loved it he loved it what he did not like was uh, managing his own firm and uh, trying to do business development plus being um, a litigator and an elected official it was just too much it was too much so I love that you have programs and help and tips and tricks and advice and tactics on how to manage that. Manage your attention, not just your time, right? Lawyers manage their time all the time, but do they know how to manage their attention? Find the thing you're passionate about and, you know, incorporate it into your practice and then love what you do, right? Well, you know, exactly. And that's just not something that anyone ever tells them. Right. That, you know, that they're told to go out and bring business. Go and bring in business. And, you know, of course, they don't know how to do that. But what I always tell them is that I don't want you to bring in more business. I want you to bring in business you love to do with people you enjoy. So right. that, that at the end of, I mean, it's just as easy to bring in work you like as work that you hate. So figure out <laughs> what you love to do. Figure out the kinds of clients that you have good chemistry with. And then go bring in that kind of work. First of all, you're going to be more successful bringing it in because you actually are enthusiastic about doing it. You know, at the end, once you brought it in, you get to do that work, which is the kind of work that you always, you know, aspire to do or work that you know that you enjoy. And that's just so much more motivating. Um, and so when I was teaching lawyers to do this, what I didn't realize initially, I knew that it worked better. Um, to have this kind of, of focus. But what I didn't realize at the, at the time was that it makes them much happier that the people who have done this, uh, because people have always done this. I'm not, I didn't make this up. This is, uh, I am training them to do something that lawyers have, have always done, you know, finding a specialty niche area and becoming the market leader in that. And, it, but what I found is if they can identify something that they love to do and bring that in, that makes them much happier. And so that was sort of the secondary um, uh, aspect of this that, I, that I, I didn't intend to create, but it turned out that that was happening. And so that's when I realized, wow, I've got to teach more people how to do this because there is such a sense of malaise with, with many lawyers and this can perk them right back up. And I thought that's really a, something that I could feel good about. That is awesome. I know that a lot of lawyers um, forget those few that knew why they went into the practice of law and now the business of law. They forget what that original, because it gets so um, mired in the day-to-day -day billing and that sort of thing. I love that you're making them step outside themselves, rethink where they are, where they want to be, and then teaching them how to get from that one point to the other point. So that's awesome. Um, is there something I was going to ask you what compelled you to do what you do for a living, but you're so passionate when you tell your story 
Um, I love the story about reaching out to um, Winston and Strawn. That was amazing. Is there anything else you'd like to add to that? Like what compelled you to do what you're doing right now today? Hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I am fortunate enough to really just enjoy the work. I, awesome. As I said, I love working with lawyers. I get to do, so I'm a general marketer. I'm, I'm an example of what I teach people to do. That, um, you know, I am a general marketer. I could market, looking around my room, um, clocks and coffee and real estate and technology and do all sorts of things. But when I'm marketing lawyers, I'm better at it because I really, I understand them. And it, they're, these are people I enjoy, whose company I enjoy. And so it is easier to bring in business when I have a more narrow focus like that. And I am better at it. And all I am saying is I want them to do the same thing that I did accidentally, that many people who've done this have done accidentally. I just want them to do it intentionally. Because you know, why am I doing this? I love doing this. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I, I, I feel so fortunate. And if I can help other people do that as well, then that's a pretty good day. I think that your work is so great and you personally are so good at doing it that um, the passion comes through and you do it for the right reasons and the money will come and it does come and it has come. You're very successful at what you do. So I believe that when you're able to in life, one in general, to decide gosh, I'm going to take the risk and do something that makes me happy and not worry so much about the money. If you're good at it and you're enjoying it, people can tell they want to do business with you. They want to work with you. Um, obviously, having gone to law school, you know the law, you're going to keep up with those, you know, the, the changing landscape and legal. If you're fun to work with, I want to hire you. I want to pay you the money. Um, that's secondary to me. The value of doing business with you means more to me than the cost of doing business with you. So you're well, one of those people. Yeah. That is, sure. that is so true. And it's, just, it's obviously true of you as well. The passion that you have for, for supporting women, for life generally, for your business, for doing these podcasts, um, you know, you have that enthusiasm, that, that infectious passion that... Uh, people can see and they do it's another thing that that the best rainmakers know is they sincerely want to help they yes. truly help people with their problems it's what gets them out of bed in the morning and if we can um, help more people see that they should bring their their passion their motivation their personality into their practice into their marketing into their daily lives more authentically and more often it's more fulfilling for them. And it's, as you said, it's infectious. People want to be around people like that. And lawyers so often, uh, professionals so often feel they have to be more objective, more cold and calculated. They have to act like a professional or what they perceive a professional to act like. And that's really not what people are buying. They're not buying a cold and calculating automaton. They're buying someone who's enthusiastic about what they do, and passionate about helping them, and they really buy that. Uh, I think really more than just about anything else. They, you know, when it comes right down to which one of these uh, highly skilled, equally similarly skilled um, professionals I'm going to hire, they're going to buy the one that they just feel is most enthusiastic about helping them, the one that they have that chemistry with. I agree, and I want you to under look, folks. A lot of lawyers don't get that. A lot of lawyers say people will hire me because I'm the smartest lawyer in the room or because I went to Harvard or, and that's not true. That's not true. So, 
and oftentimes remember when you're when you're in the face of a you know a general counsel a buyer that person may not have gone to Harvard. So don't, you know, be careful how you throw your pedigree around because people do want to do business with people they know, like, and trust. And like Ross said, um, understanding their business and being able to prevent problems and solve problems in their business is very, very valuable. So I usually ask a provocative question um, at this point in the conversation with my allies. And you know that I'm all about lifting women up and creating equity in the workplace. So I wanted to ask you a question, but I'm struggling with the question that I was going to ask because in all the reading that I'm doing and all the work that I'm doing with um, equity in the workplace, I find that we try to correct women and minorities and get them to learn to speak white male. Um, that's a problem for me. What I am trying to do is change the operating system so that no longer do women have to change how they communicate or black people have to change how they communicate. You know, when I say communicate, I mean body language, um, you know, culture, you know, not just tone of voice or word choice. What do you think about all that? I mean, I know that, that not to, you know, you, you represent the white males, Ross. I do. I'm the institution. <laughs> yeah. I don't and want to throw you under the bus, but we don't all have to be you. I mean, I don't think we should. No, you're, you know, and you're so good at this. Um, at the, your observations and your education, you're, I mean, you're so, um, so much a leader in this, in this field. But, um, you know, I am, I, um, I am the legal profession. You know, at this point, I've been doing this a long time. I'm an old white male. And, you know, I, <laughs> The, you know, the, 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 the folks I went to law school with, my peers, my friends, they're running the firms, you know. And yeah. so um, what we learned was at the time, yeah, you did. You had to act like an, a, an old white male. You had to dress like them and speak like them. And, you know, we took for granted back then that that's what you did. We didn't question it. You know, that was the, again, that was the yuppie era. And we sold our soul to the firm. <laughs> and did what they told us and acted like they looked. And when people wore yellow ties, we wore yellow ties. And when they wore pink ties, we wore pink ties. And it was, you know, when I started, it was a three-piece suit. And then it became a two-piece suit. And you didn't ask any questions. And you learned to speak the way that everybody spoke. And that's how it was. And the women had to do the same thing. They had the female version of that. And yeah. they didn't question it. They didn't question it either. Now they were not treated as well, but we had, you know, we didn't really think much about it back then because no one did. You know, we weren't uh, educated enough about that, and you know, it was just, you know, women were just getting started um, in uh, exerting their influence in in law firms. And so, um, you know, now many years later, I think that the timing has to be right as well. And I think that one of the most, one of the more interesting things on a professional basis that, that may come from Black Lives Matter and, the, and the, the time that we're at right now in society just may be, just may influence these decisions as well. Because, you know, you need, you need a movement. And there have been women's movements for a long time, but you need the men to buy into it for it to really work as well. You need everybody on board, not just some people. Exactly. And, and I think that what I'm seeing now it, it, both externally, um, well, what I'm seeing now is that that um, 
the movement has started so that people who are not oppressed, who aren't in fear, um, are changing, are, are finally gaining the empathy that, it, that, that is required for them to make the change that we all need. That until Let's you talk develop about that, that. Let's talk about that for a minute, Ross, because sure. I know in the wake of the George Floyd incident, many Fortune 500 companies cut a check. They had their, their director of comms create a statement. They put the statement on the website and they washed their hands of it and thought, yay us. They pat each other on the back and they moved on and thought, we're done. We did our part. We showed our support. I don't care if the check was for $5 million. How does that help any black employee? Exactly. And they spent $20 and bought a stock photo of a diverse conference room and put it on their homepage. Yes. And, you know, <laughs> declared, declared victory. I mean, the, the, I've seen so many firms over the years um, get uh, forced by their uh, Fortune 500 company clients, for example, that had right. diversity commitments, um, demand that their service providers also ramp up their diversity efforts. And so they grudgingly would hire more women or more, you know, more minority candidates, but then they wouldn't treat them well. They wouldn't support them. They wouldn't help them succeed. And, you know, it wasn't meaningful. They didn't, they, they really didn't, they, they didn't mean it. Um, it. They went through the motions, the, they did the bare minimum, but they didn't really uh, feel it. Um, and so, so it never went anywhere. And I was just re remembering firms I worked with in the, in the 80s and 90s, they just, they, they were entirely half-hearted about their efforts. And so the numbers improved, but the quality of the experience for those people didn't improve. Right, so I, I liken it to, um, so you know I'm very close to my son, he's 19 now. Um, I divorced when he was an infant and raised him on my own, single mom for so long. In those years where he would do something and I would have to tell him no, I would never say no because I said so. Because then there was no impact, long-lasting change, no you know sustainable, meaningful change, right, in his behavior. I liken those firms that you're describing to um, the no because I said so. There's no sustainable, long-lasting change in behavior. If you instead reason, if you understand the reason why this is so important that you um, do more than just cut a check to any, uh, you know, a social justice group and you put a statement on your website. It's like explaining, no, James, don't play with knives because they will cut you, they will hurt you, make you bleed, and you'll have a scar. You know, like explaining the power of uh, why you're saying no. So for this example, the analogy where I'm going with this is these law firms and these Fortune 500 companies need to show that they're willing to change and, and actually create great change in their practices, their pay, their pipeline, and their policies. And we just didn't see that. We don't see much of that still. And I think cutting a check and you know writing a statement is like saying no because I said so versus actually appealing to the story, the real reason. What is the reason behind these um, you know, systemic changes that need to take place. Well, how can we really change uh, and get rid of institutional inequities for the future of the firm and the company? I know you speak firm and I speak company, but the same thing applies. 
you know, it's got to be much more meaningful. You know, there's got to be a reasoning behind it and a story behind it and something compelling backed by data. And but I you, think, yeah, yeah. Sorry. go ahead. Uh, but you, you, you have to get cut with a knife before you finally realize, oh, yeah, I shouldn't do this. It's better not to be cut. And, well, some you know, people can learn by other people's mistakes. I never put my hand in the fire because I saw somebody else get burned. Yeah, but I think an awful <laughs> lot of people are like me, where they did get, they needed to get singed a bit before they really <laughs> said, oh, I'm definitely not doing this again. I'm I love your honesty. <laughs> I'm my behavior. And I think that that's really where it is with law firm leadership, that again, intellectually they know, but they're not they're not not-for-profit organizations. They are all about making the most money possible. So you have two options. You either have the clients say, yeah, I know you've improved your numbers, but they still aren't good, or the women are only um, you know, in token positions. Uh, you know, they're the hiring partner or the diversity partner, but they're not on the executive committee. You, know, you either have to have meaningful influence by the client, so you hit them in the pocketbook in a meaningful way, which isn't yet existing, uh, and I'm not sure that it that ever will. Or someone's got to get singed. Uh, or everybody's got to get singed a little bit. And, and I think that that was my point about um, Black Lives Matter and the protests, where suddenly for the first time, the white people who've been observing from the outskirts thinking, huh, that's really a shame, but didn't feel it. They couldn't empathize. They weren't on the inside of that. The videos that people have been seeing and the stories they've been hearing from their African-American friends and colleagues um, has really has really impacted them. And I really believe that a lot of people who previously, you know, sort of were on the, on the side of doing the right thing, but never felt motivated to do anything about it. They now felt like, are they felt like not my problem. Not my problem. And so I think that the older folks who are running law firms have to feel that it's the right thing to do because their, their job isn't to, to do the right thing. It's to make, it's to represent clients well and make money for their partners. And they have to feel like this is important enough to do something about. And so I think that this is that right time that for women as well, that there's a lot more empathy, there's a lot more open-mindedness than previously existed, at least from what I've seen. Um, I, I think what you're saying is uh, earlier, you said, you made a statement that clearly, um, when you said clients push back on the firm and say, check your numbers, that sort of thing, you went on to describe what a lot of people don't understand, and that is the difference between diversity and inclusivity. And I think more and more clients and just, you know, companies out there are in, insisting that we focus on inclusivity. So, so diversity is something you know, like it's quantitative data. We know the numbers. It, it looks good. But is it meaningful? Is it, is it just surface level, you know, salve on a wound? Is it Band-Aid on a cancer? Unless you have inclusivity, it's really meaningless. So when we pull back the curtain and we ask this firm, you know, you have a great website, like what you mentioned earlier, the stock photo looks good. The pitch team was, you know, had women and other minorities on it. Who's actually doing my work? Who's getting paid? Who's getting the big case and the opportunities? Or are you just checking the box? Sure. So I think those two concepts of diversity and inclusivity are very different concepts and many don't recognize that and you just spoke to that whether you realized it or not you did um, and I think people are now being pressured to look at inclusivity where is it show it to me show me the receipts exactly 
Yeah, and I think that 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 I, I'm on the inside. So a lot of what I do is in the, as I said, is in the branding and website development category, the strategy category. Yeah. So I'm, you know, inside um, all different kinds of law firms all over the world in, um, you know, in, 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 on the, the inside of, of very strategic closed door meetings. So I can really tell who's serious about it and who isn't. Yes. And um, some firms absolutely are. Um, and they're not telling their story very effectively. And I try to help them say, look, this is, you're doing the right thing and you're doing it the right way for the right reasons. Let's let everybody know, because first of all, that's good for the firm that we know what we are all about, that this is a core value for us. And we should feel good about that because that attracts, first of all, that, attra that, that um, enhances our culture. It locks it in. So we know how we are supposed to think and behave. And it also attracts like-minded people, whether those are laterals, whether that, uh, those are clients and prospects, whether those are you know, staff, um, people who feel like you should work at your firm. And people who don't, who are not that way, shouldn't. And so if you are one of those firms that is both um, diverse and inclusive, then you should let people know that because it's hard from the outside to tell who means it and who doesn't truly. And so if you really do mean it, if it is part of your core, then I think it's incumbent on you to use your website, to use your branding and marketing materials, to use your outreach, to tell that story as, as persuasively as possible and obviously as possible so that you can attract like-minded people, thereby reinforcing what you already have and enhancing it further. And then you can separate yourself as one of those forward-looking firms of the future, because I think the profession is absolutely moving this way. It's just going to re require a lot more of the old guys who are just too set in their ways to learn um, to retire and let the younger people who are much more open to this uh, become the leaders in the profession for that to really, um, for that change to be uh, significant and meaningful. So I want to say two things that are provocative and controversial and probably might make people hmm go hmm or worse. But one, <laughs> one is it. funny. One is funny because I call these men that you refer to as the um, owls, the old white lawyers, the owls. Yep. They think they're so wise. Hoo hoo, you know. <laughs> and in the corporate setting, I call them owls, the old white leaders, right? So, um, Great that they've done what they've done, but the, the danger in their continuing to do it the way they have done it is that affinity bias, right? So they hire people who look and sound and act like they do. Oh, son, I went to that university and, or I too golf or, you know, and 51% of new hires come from referrals and referrals generally are people in your circle, but, but we need to like step out of, yes, exactly. We need to step outside of that and start hiring people that, you know, what does it mean to fit in? Do I want to fit in? I want to work here. What does fitting in mean? You know, I don't know if I want to fit in with that culture or that, you know, so there's a difference um, between, you know, being inclusive and diverse and allowing people to be who they are and valuing them for their differences than having people fit in and become the owl, right? So we want to we want to make sure that we're not encouraging. And I know you you work with firms all the time and make sure they are careful about that. We don't want to encourage firms to hire only people who look and act like the owls. 
Um, those days are gone. You mentioned it earlier about the yellow ties and pink ties. In the 90s, women did the same thing. They um, would try to act and dress and sound and be like men in order to be successful. And we're saying, forget it. That's not the way to go. Be who you are and be appreciated and valued for that person. Um, and, that's, and that's great. But that is, uh, but of course, as you know well, the people who are evaluating you, who are deciding whether you, sh you succeed or fail, whether you get a bonus or not, uh, whether you can stay or must leave, those people are the creators of the culture and they got successful under the old system. And so change is hard anywhere, of course. It's particularly hard with lawyers and professionals because we're smart people who you know, like to be autonomous and, and you know, right. we, we, we're self-centered who like to do things our way. And we don't like to be told what to do. And there are very few enforcement mechanisms that require be, you know, certain kinds of behavior. And there's, you know, as I say, we, we have very small carrots and no sticks. Um, well, I'm in law firms. <laughs> you are. I'm you are a giant. <laughs> I'm a giant. You stick. are. You are a blood. <laughs> change the operating with a, with system. A, yeah, I know that. I know, yeah. yeah, I know it's tough. But, but if but but if you've got a group of you know five old white males who control the culture um, and don't have a lot of personal experience with um, successful women, with effective minorities, with you know the kind of people who are just out, as you said, outside of their circle, so they can't develop that um, the emotional connection with them, that empathy. It's hard, you can't blame them necessarily from you know, where they're, they're stuck, but it's, it then that, that permeates the culture of the firm. And so, like for me, I've got you know, children in their teens and 20s who are constantly checking me on my, my comments, my behavior, <laughs> you know? because their generation is just so open and so liberal, and I'm a really liberal guy, but they think that I'm a right-wing, you know, uh, talk show host. Um, <laughs> and, you know, just because from their perspective, they just come to it so much more naturally, where yeah. I'm definitely from the old school, and I've had to, you know, learn, and so many of us have, but we can't expect everyone to have those same experiences. And it's yeah. those experiences that really change your perspective and open your mind to that. And I'm working on it. I'm working on it. So I have to say, yeah, um, curiosity is one of the most powerful tools in combating bias. And I think that owls are not curious because of the reasons you said. They've done it this way for 100 years. It's worked. Why change it? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. So um, I'm trying to get them to open their minds to new and different ways of seeing and thinking and feeling and being and allowing others who have different approaches, like your children, to have the floor to have a voice, a seat at the table, to change the future, the present and the future of that law firm or company. Um, so I hear what you're saying and it's true what you're saying. It cannot continue. So I, I get you, I'm well, working, you know, I'm working on it. <laughs> you and people like you are absolutely working on it and I think you are effectively effectuating change. And it's absolutely going to happen, but I do think it's gonna, um, I think that the pace of change that the, the movement that we're, we're um, seeing on TV, that we're experiencing ourselves, um, is going to expedite that change. I agree. Uh, it's still I gonna agree. take time, it's because it's gonna require uh, one more change of leadership, I think, before it really accelerates. Because even a lot of the women in leadership positions um, are not the most supportive and forward-linking. You can't count on them to be you know, leading in this, in this area. 
um, the older women are much more conservative in these issues than the younger women um, who are yes. looking up to them. Because they work so hard. They actually became the men in order to be successful, and they work so hard at getting to where they are, they don't want to blow it. But I'm telling yeah. you, it's time to blow everything out. It's time to give a voice to the younger people, the uh, people from all walks, you know, who bring different perspectives, and to, va you know, value those differences. For a long time, people thought they were being um, good by saying, oh, well, we should tolerate people for their differences. I think that's so insulting. We should embrace and, right. and, and, and engage in finding out new and different ways of thinking and doing things and being, um, and, 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 and be curious, engage in curiosity. So yeah, it, it's changing and I'm, I'm trying to, you know, the speed of Susan is not for everyone, Ross. You personally know that. <laughs> Susan, that's a phrase but, I'm gonna use from now on. <laughs> The speed of Susan. People tell me that sometimes, you know, not not always, but sometimes people say, well, the speed of Susan is not for everyone. But I'll tell you what, um, they don't want me to stop. I no. And, you know, to your earlier point, uh, I am seeing a lot more influence uh, for the, um, the young people that they are exerting their power because they, you know, we never we never spoke up when we were younger because we were it, that was clearly not um, allowed. Right. Um, but yeah. now, you know, we wouldn't demand a seat at the table or a, a seat on the, on the committee. And the younger people absolutely are. I mean, this has been well documented. And I'm seeing firms putting younger people on committees and, and listening to them and sincerely listening to them um, yeah. in a way that I've never seen before. And, and the younger voice is the speed of Susan. These are people yes. who don't see why the old, they have to do it that way. Well, we did it that way because it was do it that way. Now shut up and go back to work. And we said, okay. And See, then that's the because I said so generation. Because I said so, right. And, and that's just not effective any longer. That doesn't exist nearly as much. And that also, I think, is changing much more quickly. And, and the firms that I'm seeing that have done that effectively are also leading in a lot of other areas. Yes. Because, because it's working. It, it yes. helps. The diversity but, of thought is is really improving the quality of those firms in a lot of different ways, not just exactly. This and I think you're going to help them get to where they need to be at the rate and pace and and down the right path. I, I will say the younger generation will unsubscribe. They will cancel. They'll say, "I don't need this. I'm not working just for you know the the you know eight hundred dollars an hour, or whatever it might be." They right. care about work life integration. They care about mental health and well-being they're not gonna they don't want to be that senior partner who's an alcoholic or you know whatever they see that the trials and tribulations that come with um that because i said so mentality i've had young people say i'm not going to take that case i'm too busy right now what you know? <laughs> i know i know the, the the partners they come back and they they talk to me i think i can't believe that they said that <laughs> like, once you've lost the because I've said so authority, yeah. What's left? They have right. nothing left. How about some critical and, thinking no, so, so, and feeling? How about some EQ and transformational leadership instead of hierarchical leadership? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I could talk to you all day because you know, I adore you <laughs> yeah. and I think you're brilliant and you're fun oh, to talk to. I want to ask you something because I want the audience to know you as well as I. Um, how do you spend your free time, Ross? 
Oh gosh, I am so busy. I am social distancing. I am self-isolating. <laughs> I, I am self, I am just, I am, I'm hanging out a lot. Um, I'm playing tennis with my daughter. I'm going on long walks with my wife. The dog has never been walked uh, more often or farther. Um, and, um, uh, and actually, I, uh, I've written, I think, five books <laughs> since, wow. all of, since all of this started. Um, Good for you. That's marketing awesome. Books, marketing books for lawyers, for accountants. I wrote one on how to stay safe in your teens and 20s. That kind of blends my uh, legal experience and my parental experience. Um, that's kind of fun. Um, well, you're so really, you're really great at both. And um, I appreciate you so much. I want to, as folks who follow me know, I'll write a blog about Ross and put that on my website and it'll be up in about, I don't know, two or three days. But for those who are just listening to the podcast, if they want to reach you, Ross, how can they do that? Well, let's see. Website is fishmanmarketing.com or rossfishman.com and all my contact information is there. Um, Ross at Fishman Marketing is the easiest way, fishmanmarketing.com. Um, you can send me an email or feel free to call me, call my cell, 847-921-7677. And I'd be delighted to chat with you about any of this. Awesome. Wow. It's very powerful, folks, that he shared his cell. Most people don't do that. That's really, um, you're definitely the real deal. Uh, one last question. Are you on social anywhere? I am on social everywhere. <laughs> uh, I would say uh, LinkedIn is the easiest, linkedin.com slash in slash Ross Fishman. Uh, and Twitter is at Ross Fishman. I could tell you my TikTok uh, contact. No! But I, oh my God. I, haven't, I haven't posted any videos yet. <laughs> oh, you're killing me, man. <laughs> I have to say, you were born to do what you do. You're very good at this. Um, <laughs> I don't know. You you have the name for it. The your content is great. Your delivery is compelling and fun, and you're super brilliant. But still, you know, you know, you're still funny and still able to communicate with people from all walks. So that's a big plus in my book. So thank you for letting me into your circle, and I'm so happy you were on the show today. You're amazing. My cheeks are burning. They're on fire because you make me laugh. So you're the best all right have a good one everybody thanks for listening bye-bye stay safe